So for those of you guys who don't know me, my name's Drew, and I am one of the pastors at Salt City Church. And um, if you guys are around me at all, you'll hear me start to talk about my kids. And uh, so I have five living kids and one in heaven. And um, my, my son, Luke, is adopted from the Congo. And uh, what's true about Luke, my wife says this about him all the time, that if you met Luke, you would think this kid brings the party. Okay, so just to give you an example of that, we went to one of his friend's birthday parties this last weekend, and the birthday party was a little bit on the lame side. And then, like, our family shows up, we got five kids, and so we just, like, bolt into the backyard, and all of a sudden, it's a party, okay? <laughs> but, but here's a picture of Luke, okay? So this is a picture of Luke, and this was maybe, like, his ultimate party moment, okay? So I asked him to wear this outfit. He's six, almost seven, to his sister's birthday party. So just imagine this moment, right? His twin sisters were turning five. He was asked to wear this. And so he comes busting outside, and he is immediately surrounded by 25-year-old girls. And he is just absolutely loving it. It was amazing. And the party from that moment on, it was set, right? So Luke, he, he absolutely just brings the party wherever he goes. He's su such a fun kid. And what we're actually going to see in the text tonight, this is a stretch, but um, it's that Jesus brings the party, all right? Not in, I don't want you to have an image. The reason I'm saying it's a stretch, I don't want you to have an image of Jesus in that unicorn outfit etched in your head for the rest of your life. But we're going to see that he's somebody that we would want to be with. And I think it's a tragedy that when we think of parties, we normally don't think of Jesus. And maybe immediately when you think of inviting somebody to a party, the last person you would want there is Jesus. And I think that's actually sad. And so we're going to look at John chapter 2, verses 1 through 11 to see this reality. John chapter 2, 1 through 11. On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Now there were six stone water jars there for Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, Now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. When the master of the feast tasted the water now become wine and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first, and when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. This, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee. And manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. Okay, so from this text, we're going to look at three ways that Jesus brings the party. All right, three ways that Jesus brings the party. Number one, anxiety is replaced by trust. Number two, guilt is replaced by joy. And number three, shame is replaced by honor. Number one, anxiety is replaced by trust. So we're looking again at John 2, verses 3 through 5. So the text said, when the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. 
And Jesus said to her, Woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Now, at the beginning of the text, we saw that Jesus and his disciples and his family had been invited to this wedding. So we can assume that the people getting married were close friends of Jesus and his family. And so they're at this wedding, and you guys have been at weddings, and you've been around families at weddings, and you know that it's an exciting and a joyful day, but there's also an underlying current of anxiety in everybody's heart because everybody wants the wedding to go perfectly for that couple. And Mary was no different than this. And so the unthinkable happens at this Jewish wedding. They run out of booze, right? And their wedding celebrations were a little bit different than our wedding celebrations in the sense that the reception lasted for seven days. And so this is likely day seven that we're standing in in this moment. And the groom was responsible for planning the festivities. So he was responsible to make sure there was enough food and enough wine at the wedding. And Mary, being very attentive to the situation and very caring toward the family, notices first the wine's out. And she knows that that will bring shame to the groom and dishonor to his family. And so you can feel the anxiety in her voice when she comes and says this to Jesus, they don't have any wine. And Jesus' response, it might actually sound a little bit sexist to us, right? He says, woman, what you talking about? But here's what you have to understand. This Greek word for woman here is not as offensive as it sounds in English. The Greek word for woman is actually more similar to the southern word ma'am, okay? So he's actually using a term of endearment with his mom, saying, ma'am, what does this have to do with me? But here's what you'll notice happens with Mary. Her anxiety quickly turns to trust in the presence of Jesus, which is doubly remarkable because he is her son. But what you have to understand about Mary is that she is now a widow. Joseph is likely dead at this point, And Jesus is her oldest son, which meant that he had been taking care of his mom. So she's not only looking to him as her firstborn son and sort of the head of the household in this moment, but I think she's also leaning on him as he enters his public ministry as her savior. And so instead of her heart being filled with anxiety and being overwhelmed that something is going wrong at the wedding of her friend, she leaves it in the hand of Jesus. Isn't that beautiful what she says? Even though he responds to her with sort of this hard-to-understand saying that we'll get to later where he says, my hour has not yet come. There's no way she understood what he was talking about. But she just tells the servants, just do whatever he tells you, which means she trusts him. I remember my wedding day, one of the best decisions that my wife, Melissa, and I made, because neither of us is super organized, 
is we made the decision to hire like an all-in wedding planner. Okay, so Melissa's parents were very generous to us, paid for the wedding. And we hired this wedding planner and she literally was in charge of everything. Flowers and the cake and uh, food and, and all of that. And so here's what we experienced at the wedding. Joy. Do you know why? Because we trusted her. In our interview with her and in her showing us all the different things that she had done in the past and us talking to former clients and all those types of things, we came to trust her. And so we weren't stressed out on our wedding day because we believed that she was a person that could pull the thing off. Here's my question for you. In the daily things of life, because this is kind of amazing, right? Jordan taught last week on John chapter one and said this guy that we're talking about who's at this wedding is also the guy who, by the way, created the world. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. All things were made through him. That's who we're talking about here. He made everything and he's at a wedding, which means this, at least means this. He cares about the little things in your life. If he cares about wine running out at a wedding, he cares about the little things in your life. What are you anxious about? What in your life are you having trouble giving over to him? Could it be that you've stood in for Jesus as your own personal savior and you're just not doing a very good job? And maybe the thing that Jesus wants to say to you tonight is, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. It's like, I don't want you carrying the weight of the world on your shoulders. I'm pretty good at that. You're not very good at that. He just wants you to give him your troubles. You know, you can cast all your cares on Jesus because he cares for you. He really cares for you. I don't know all of your problems right now. He knows all of your problems and he cares for you. So when we're in the presence of Jesus at a party, our anxiety is replaced with trust. Anxiety, right, it weighs our heart down. But there's something else that's revealed in this text, and that's that guilt is replaced by joy. None of us likes to feel guilty, but often we're bothered by things that we have done that have offended others or have offended God. But when Jesus is at the party, guilt is replaced by joy. Picking up the story in verse 6. Now, there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. Okay, what you have to understand about these stone jars that Jesus is using is that these jars were normally used for people to ceremonially wash their hands. And so what we know is, especially the religious leaders, they were big on this. This is a Jewish wedding. The religious leaders would have been the guys who came in and they would have remembered like, oh, today I touched a unclean person or an unclean 
animal, somebody who wasn't ceremonially pure. I touch them at some point. And so before I eat or before I drink at this wedding, I've got to wash my hands to clean myself. But what was true was that all they were doing was washing their hands. That water, and for that matter, all of the ceremonies that are talked about in the Old Testament, they were never actually able to cleanse a person from what was fundamentally broken about them. See, the problem wasn't that people were touching unclean things. The problem was that people had and have unclean hearts. But here's what happens with religion. Everybody knows that. And so the religion gets old. And so here's what you see in this scene at this wedding. These stone water jars are sitting in the corner and no one's using them. You notice Jesus has to first tell them to fill them with water. If they don't have water in them, then no one can wash their hands, which means no one cares about the ceremony anymore. Do you know why? Because they're tired of the ceremony. From the time they were little kids, they wash in their hands, just like you were going to some dead church as a kid and you're tired of hearing the pastor talk about the same old thing and you're tired of of the dead religion of it, and you don't even really think your parents believe it anyway, and you're just like, I'm done with this stuff. That's how they're feeling. I don't want anything to do with this. And Jesus says, fill the jars with water. And so the servants, they fill the jars with water. They do what he says, and they take them to the master of the feast. And what we know is by Jesus' miraculous power, these ceremonial jars that are normally filled with water that no one cares about anymore are all the sudden filled with amazing wine. Wash your hands with water or drink some wine. Right? We know which one this campus would choose, right? (laughs) Go to church, go to a party. Here's what Jesus is saying. I'm here to usher in a brand new religion. In fact, it's not a religion at all. I'm ushering in a kingdom where rituals and ceremonies are not at the center of it, but where you will receive the Holy Spirit of God and he will do something similar for you that wine does for you. Bible says, a little wine gladdens the heart. It's true, isn't it? That's why people drink. And Jesus does this miracle to show us that he's not a prude. He's a party animal. He wants you to be happy. He wants you to be filled with joy. One of the greatest lies in the universe is that Jesus is trying to keep you from happiness. He is trying to give you eternal joy. You know, it's weird. Even, I think religious people, they sort of get this, right? I remember going to one of my wife's cousin's wedding. Real traditional kind of religious people really, really long wedding service. I'm talking like two hours long. 
And like, I don't even think the bride and groom were enjoying it. And you know it's too long. The bride and groom aren't even enjoying their own wedding day, right? And everyone's just like, mm. and, and like, I'm just like, I can't believe people do this. Like religion, to be honest with you guys, is like one of the most unappealing things to me in the world. I think it is so boring. And I'm just like sitting there, I'm just like, oh man. And I'm, I'm a pastor and I'm like, I don't even wear a watch, but I'm like checking like two freckles past a hair. What are we doing here? And it's like the whole atmosphere of this room is just like, it is, it is horrible. I mean, the wedding felt like a funeral. It did. Like a bad funeral of somebody that everybody hated. Okay? And, and we're sitting through this thing, and I, I'm just like, oh my goodness. And then what happened is this religious ceremony ends, and we get to the reception, and it's like, it was awesome. It was so much fun. People are dancing. People are having a fun time. People are enjoying. This is where people are at home. This is what Jesus is saying. That religious stuff, not going to take away your guilt. Me, I'll fill your heart with gladness. I want to take out of your mind that Christianity is a religion, and I want you to see that is it a relationship with the happiest person in the universe. He wants to give you a joy that alcohol never could. Let me just say this as an aside. Jesus is not condoning drunkenness. Don't say, man, I'm glad I went to Salt Company, especially on a Thursday night. You're leaving here, you're like, I'm going to get hammered for Jesus. No, 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 no. There's symbolism in this. I believe that the Bible gives us liberty to drink in moderation, but not to drunkenness. He's using wine as a symbol of his kingdom. You want joy. You want Jesus. You want him at your party because he is not a person who is going to rub your sin in your face. He is a person who is going to bring you gladness. In his presence, there is fullness of joy. That's what the Bible says. But it's not just that we need our guilt taken away, right? It's not just that we need gladness in our heart to replace our guilt. That has to do with things that we've done in the past that we can't deal with. That's what guilt is, right? But we also have things that we should have done that we've left undone. And so we need Jesus to deal with our shame. In this passage, we see a beautiful picture of shame being replaced by honor. Picking up the story in verse nine. When the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine, and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. The master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first, and when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. Remember earlier I said, the groom was responsible for the food and the drinks. This whole story is set up by the groom's irresponsibility. Dude had a lot on his plate leading up to the wedding, right? 
we got it right where the bride's family and the bride is a little more responsible for the wedding, right? Dude, drop the ball. All of us can put ourselves in his shoes who are guys, right? He didn't get enough wine. Probably didn't have enough food either. And this moment would have brought him tremendous shame. That was one of the worst things that you could hear at a wedding. We're out of wine. And he was this close to that happening. And I think in some sense, a lot of us think, oh, if God showed up at a wedding and something like that was going to happen, God would be the one to be like, can you believe this idiot? That's the, that's the voice we hear when we think of God. We think of him rubbing our shame in our faces and just constantly bringing up the things that we haven't done. We primarily think of him as shaming us. And instead of shaming him, Jesus does something absolutely beautiful and invisible. Behind the scenes. Notice the groom doesn't even know what Jesus has done. Jesus sort of covertly sneaks in. He turns the water into good wine. Amazing wine. I think it's safe to say it's the best wine that anyone's ever had, right? Jesus made it. And the master of this feast, who would have been like kind of the head waiter, right? The guy who's responsible for serving all the food, he gets this new batch of wine. He's probably thought the wine's all out. And he takes a drink of it and he's like, this stuff's way better than the stuff we've been serving. This is amazing. And he gives the groom the credit. He honors him. Notice, the groom gets the credit for Jesus' work. You know, that's the gospel. That's what we talk about all the time. You get the credit for Jesus' work. He does the work he gives you the honor. You've got all these lists of things in your mind that are things that you wish you would have done that you haven't done. And Jesus might want to say to you tonight, it's done. It's finished. Remember, that's what he said on the cross. It's done. Can you guys think back to a moment like of public embarrassment. Isn't that one of the worst things? Like, that's what was about to happen for this guy. Just this moment of public embarrassment. I was thinking about that. One of, one of my moments, of many, um, of public embarrassment that revealed my irresponsibility was when I had a saxophone solo <laughs> in eighth grade in front of the whole school. And truth be told, I didn't practice my saxophone as much as I should have. And I get up in front, and <clears throat> I butchered the thing, right? I made a mess of it. And I just think of that feeling, and that feeling was about to flood onto this guy at his own wedding. He was about to be covered with shame. And I was just imagining, like, putting myself back in, in those shoes. My eighth-grade shoes were just completely awkward years anyway, right? And I just imagine, like, if somehow... 
Jesus could have like taken over my body right before I played and like all of a sudden like Charlie Parker saxophone skills start. Do you guys know who Charlie Parker is? Really famous saxophonist from like the 1940s. Anyway, if it was amazing, right? That's basically what happens. This guy gets the credit. Jesus does the work. Are you ashamed of something? Parents put a lot of pressure on you to get good grades. You haven't been able to do enough. And in the back of your mind, you partly know that it's because you've been irresponsible. You haven't loved your roommates the way you wish you could. And you start kind of ticking off a list and you know there's a lot of things that you wish you would have done that you haven't done. And you just need to hear Jesus say, it's me you need. And you need him to say to you, I love you. Even though you haven't done these things, I'll do what you need me to do for you. Okay, here's a question. We're talking about a wedding that happened a couple thousand years ago. How does this help us today? How can we know that Jesus is the same today? And the answer actually comes from this text I mentioned at the beginning where Jesus says that his hour has not yet come. And then at the end of the text, it says this. This, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. See, at the beginning of the text, he says, my hour hasn't yet come. At the end of the text, it says that this is a sign. Okay, a sign is something that points beyond itself, right? So think of like a slippery when wet sign, right? It, you don't actually think that the sign is slippery when it's wet. You know that the sign is saying that the floor or the road is slippery when it's wet. It's pointing to something else. And in the same way, this story, it's true, it happened, but it's pointing to a greater reality. And that reality is revealed in the very next chapter. John 3, verses 16 and 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. You see, God didn't send his son primarily to do this miracle at a wedding. We know that he primarily sent his son to die on the cross in our place for our sins. The cross is what takes away our anxiety, ultimately. The cross is what takes away our guilt. The cross is what takes away our shame because on the cross, Jesus said, my life for yours. He did for you on the cross the same thing that he did for that groom. 
In this invisible transaction, he took your place. He died the death that you deserve. He loves you. He wants to fill you with joy. Do you believe this? Because if you believe this, your life will start to change. You'll be filled with gladness. I'd love to talk to you more about that after if you'd, love, if you'd like to. So let's pray. Jesus, thanks for um, all these people who came tonight. Thanks for your work in their life that brought them here. I don't know why they came tonight, but thank you that they did. And Jesus, thank you that you're not who many of us often think you are, but you are a joy bringer. And we just come to you right now and we say, man, we are so many times filled with anxiety and guilt and shame. And just ask that you'd take it away like you did in this passage. Jesus, we don't believe that you're a legend who used to do really cool things, but we believe that you're actually here present with us. And so would you wake us up to your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.